It's 2018, and actress Priyanka Chopra is walking down the aisle towards her soon-to-be husband, singer Nick Jonas. The two are getting married in nothing less than a royal palace, under a giant canopy of flowers, on a raised stage fit for a concert venue. Chopra is wearing a $2 million custom gown with a 75-foot veil, which five ushers have to carry behind her. The Chopra Jonas wedding was one of the most anticipated weddings in recent memory. Over three days in the Indian city of Jodhpur, the nine-event gala featured three separate ceremonies, celebrity guests, Bollywood dance performances, and several costume changes. But scenes like these aren't only common among the rich and famous. More than 10 million weddings a year take place in India, and a lot of them are over the top. Now, not every Indian wedding is a spectacle. The country is huge, and ceremonies are as varied as the religions, castes, and communities that host them. But the spectacular Indian wedding, an expensive combination of Hindu tradition and Bollywood influence, does have fascinating staying power. Through economic turbulence, social reform, modern technology, and even a pandemic, the big fat Indian wedding is only getting bigger. Court's Obsession, a podcast that explores the fascinating backstories behind everyday ideas and what they tell us about the global economy. I'm your host, Kira Bindram. Today, Indian weddings, the priciest party of your life. I am joined now by Manavi Kapoor, who is a reporter with Quartz India, based in New Delhi. Manavi has covered both the business of culture and lifestyle, and more recently, she's been one of our main pandemic reporters. That makes you kind of uniquely situated to have this conversation, Manavi, because I feel like Indian weddings sort of sit right at the center of those two topics. Oh, yeah. Indian weddings have had a very turbulent few years. I want to start by almost defining our terms, because for the purposes of the episode, we are talking about Indian weddings, and I'm doing air quotes there. But what we're really talking about when we talk about these sort of big, fantastic weddings are weddings that reflect Hindu tradition and are more common in northern India. I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit more about that distinction. Yes, that's right. So um, Hindu weddings are, in fact, not a monolith. There are uh, India has a multitude of religions uh, that we have Muslims, Christians, Sikhs, Buddhists, Jains. And even within the Hindu community, weddings can be so different across regions. I have attended several and uh, there hasn't been one that is identical to the other. And for the purposes of this conversation, I think the most mainstream wedding is the North Indian Hindu wedding. And it has the most cultural power over the wedding culture in India. So what are like the bare bones of a traditional Hindu wedding. What does a typical ceremony or ceremonies entail, uh, even conceding your point that not every wedding is the same? Typically, there will be a henna ceremony, then a ceremony where your family slathers you with turmeric paste. There's the main nuptial, which is you walk around a small little fire. And then there's also the post-nuptial reception. But I think... Lately, the most anticipated event of any wedding is the song and dance evening, which turns into like a cocktail night, which has been influenced most by Bollywood and has the most influence on Bollywood. Who is doing the singing and the dancing? Everyone? Is it choreographed? Oh, yes, it is choreographed. Uh, There's weeks of very serious practice that goes into it, teaching 
everyone from baby boomers to Gen Zs, how to dance to old songs, new songs, um, reels, you know, all the all the viral trending music. Everybody dances. There are props. You can have a little fireworks, some confetti. It's the whole nine yards. The whole nine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds nice. I mean, I have to say, the dancing is my favorite part of a wedding. It's actually a lot of fun. You do feel like a star for that 30 seconds that you prepared. And it's awfully short given the weeks that you put into actually preparing how to dance. But those 30 seconds, you do feel like a celebrity. It's wonderful. You've got lights, you've got like a drone flying over your head trying to capture all your moves. Then there's this little video that you get at the end. It's amazing. Okay, so let's get into some of the details. And for this, I thought we could play a little game because I I love a good game. And I'm calling this game Embrace Your Inner Bridezilla. So I'm asking you to do that, Manavi. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in this game, I am your wedding planner. I'm very good at my job. And you're a young bride with endless money at your disposal. So let's assume you want to go for the most like big budget, spectacular version of a big fat Indian wedding that we can imagine. So I am going to give you something that one traditionally plans when one is planning one's wedding. And you give me an example or your vision as as our bridezilla of what you might expect to see at your giant spectacular wedding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. First item we need to plan is the venue. What kind of venue are you looking for? I mean, if I had all the money in the world, I would probably you know, take Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas's wedding venue, which was the Umed Bhavan Palace in Jodhpur. It's gorgeous. It's a fairy tale venue. But truth be told, I'll just take any palace or fort since we've got so many of them in India and just have like a royal lookalike wedding. I appreciate your flexibility on on the palace. <laughs> All right, next thing, guest list. Both the size, how many people you think would be at your wedding, and the type of people, if that makes sense, like obviously your immediate family is going to be there, but how far afield of your immediate circle do we get uh, in this biz- vision for your grand wedding? Um, so the pandemic has trimmed our guest lists down from a crazy 5,000 or maybe a reasonable 1,500 people wedding to perhaps 500. So um, since it's a palace that I'm going to host my wedding at, yeah, they should be able to accommodate those many people and have enough social distancing as well. And of course, that includes my relatives, my to-be husband's relatives, our friends. And I mean, yeah, they're plus ones. And if we have, um, you know, some white friends visiting from the US or uh, the UK. So yeah, 500 is, I think, a reasonable number. Okay, and since I'm sure your your mom and I will be talking, how many people would she want to invite to this wedding? Like, what are the expectations of the size of our wedding here? Well, if my total guest list is just 500 people, she alone would want to call 500 people because if I have a neighbor who's living on the same block and I, I mean, if they can see into my house and they're not invited to my wedding, it's going to be an issue. What you're making me think of is when I was doing research for the intro to this, now my YouTube history is all of these videos about Priyanka Chopra talking about her wedding. And so I'm getting served all of these recommendations for wedding videos. But in one of them on Ellen, she was saying that their wedding was actually only 200 people and that that was extremely small relative to what would have been expected. Apparently, her mother was really upset that she couldn't call more people, which is the case with most Indian mothers. Okay, next on my list, music. How many types of music events are we planning? Are we getting DJs? Are we getting bands? What should I expect? 
Uh, so there's going to be music on all the days. It's partly a given. So there's folk music for which you have live singers. And, um, you know, there are these groups of women who come and play at weddings and they have their musical instruments. And we have a tradition where we use a spoon on a drum and we sort of use that for the beat. So it, it's like almost part of the turmeric ceremony. So, yeah, there's folk music, which will be live. Um, since it's a palace, I'm going to also have folk music of that region and have, uh, you know, local artisans come and play. I'm going to, of course, have a DJ uh, for the night where we also have choreographed performances. And, uh, yeah, and the DJ is going to be strictly Bollywood. And if I have it my way, then from the 90s and 2000s, early 2000s. So we have a lot of musical play. We're basically planning like a small Coachella here for your event. Somewhat, yes. Okay, last one we'll do in our game. I mentioned earlier that Priyanka had a $2 million dress. What kind of wedding dress are you looking for? Or dresses? Are there multiple? Um. Well, I mean, currently every Indian bride aspires to wear a sabyasachi lehenga. A lehenga is basically like this gorgeous embellished skirt and it has a what we now call a crop top and it has a dupatta which is basically like a veil so yeah I mean that is the big aspiration currently in India and uh, I wouldn't I mean I have to give in to that trend so of course it'll be a sabyasachi lehenga uh, for my cocktail of course I'll, I'll get like a sequined something something from uh, Manish Malhotra who basically supplies to all of Bollywood and he designs all their outfits. So, of course, if I'm going to dance like a Bollywood star, I have to look like one. And uh, for an intimate, you know, turmeric ceremony, I'll probably just buy some Banarsi silk from a handloom designer to honor my roots. So, we again, versatility, variety, and luxury. Absolutely. <laughs> After the break, how Bollywood inspires bigger and bigger weddings. Hearing all of this as someone who has never planned a wedding, it's stressful. <laughs> like, it sounds like so much to plan and and logistically very challenging, though it sounds like extremely fun to be there. But I'm also thinking about how expensive all of this is. And obviously, I gave you the challenge of being someone who had a ton of money at her disposal. But as we were talking about earlier, a lot of these um, habits or parts of the ceremonies are common in a more widespread way beyond people who are just super, super wealthy. In India overall, how much money is spent on weddings every year? Like, give me a sense of the size of this industry. So the wedding services industry in India is roughly $50 billion. It may have shrunk during the pandemic, but even so, that $50 billion figure is likely an underestimate. That's because a lot of the industry operates informally. It includes matchmakers, wedding planners, designers, jewelers, whoever you can think of is who's going to contribute to your wedding. By that figure, it contributes about 0.5% to India's GDP as well. And it is one of the largest employers as an industry. And if I am planning a wedding, what does that financial impact look like for me? How much money am I spending on an average wedding with the accepting that, of course, I'm sure there's a lot of variation. Right. So the variation is staggering given India's inequality. But on an average, 
families spend about 7.5 to 10% of their net worth just getting their kids married which is huge when you consider people push themselves into loans that they cannot repay so it is a huge expense and one that families spend their entire lives saving up for yeah that 10% is um powerful like thinking about spending 10% of your net worth on a on a wedding are there traditions around who pays for what? So again, it varies region to region. Um, we do have examples of matriarchal societies in the south and in the east where, in fact, the groom's family pays for the wedding and is actually sort of paying the dowry for the bride. But in most North Indian weddings, I would say uh, the bride's family uh, incurs the maximum amount of expenses. Now with a little more cosmopolitanism setting in. Families tend to split the expense. Younger people take on loans on themselves and don't want to burden their parents. So they end up splitting the cost between the two of them. We have this event that costs a ton of money relative to what any given person has. And then we also have a country with a lot of inequality. Do families feel compelled to put this much emphasis and attention on weddings, even if it is outside their financial means? And if that's the case, what do they do to make that happen? Oh, that's definitely the case. In smaller towns, for instance, people take out loans that they don't have the ability to repay. So it pushes them further down the, the class pyramid. Because weddings are so expensive and because the bride's family still takes care of most of the expenses, a female child is considered a burden, which is also why female feticide rates are very high in India. Uh, it's improving, of course, generation after generation, but the problem still persists. So there's an element of economic inequality, but there's also this enormous element of gender inequality, it sounds like. Yes, absolutely. One of the other things we keep circling, and I feel like there's a connection here, is that having a big wedding ceremony isn't just about the rite of passage of getting married, that it's also kind of a status symbol or one of the biggest public-facing things that you do. And I want to talk about the celebrity connection there. You know, I talked at the top about the Chopra Jonas wedding, and I think no matter where you are in the world, you will see some desire on people's part to emulate what celebrities are doing. Uh, and that feels pretty strong here to me. But I'm hoping you can you can elaborate on that. What is the celebrity connection to the big ending wedding my guess, based on our conversation so far, is Bollywood's a big part of it, but I, I'm hoping you can uh, tell me more. Oh, yes. Um, it is driven by Bollywood, both on and off screen. Um, to give a recent example, an Indian actor, Katrina Kaif, married and another Indian actor, Vicky Kaushal. And there was such a huge craze about that wedding, and we knew nothing about it because they had banned phones inside the wedding venue. There was no paparazzi in allowed, but yeah, there was just so much anticipation about what she's going to wear, who's going to do her makeup, who the photographer is going to be. Are they going to be drones? What kind of music are they going to dance to? Are they going to dance to music from their own films? These are people we see on screen and then you see them on your phone screens. And it's just aspiration driving up aspiration, I feel, in a lot of ways. Do you feel that Bollywood movies, uh, so on screen are reflecting sort of a cultural obsession with marriage and weddings or creating or exacerbating a cultural obsession with weddings and marriage or or both? I think it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Um, there are some traditions that have been popularized by Bollywood so much 
that even cultures and within india that didn't follow those traditions have started following it for instance the karwa chauth fast where a wife fasts for her husband's life and longevity it, it used to be just a punjabi north indian phenomena but it's become nationwide like people across india follow it now because it was in a bollywood movie yes it it was in a 2001 film called kabhi khushi kabhi gham and there's this whole song about it and it's so beautifully you know shot and of course there's family and togetherness so there's a lot of soft power being wielded through that one i think film so in that sense yes but it's also bollywood takes from life um and picks up traditions which are already prevalent and it makes them chic and aspirational and adding a little dash of design aware and it's just something that you want to do and it's so insta friendly if i think about these sort of these characteristics something very driven by celebrity culture um extremely expensive not the best financial move for a lot of middle class or low income families i'm curious if there's any sort of backlash as with the US you have a country with a lot of inequality and i'm wondering if people see this outlay that has to come financially from weddings and are starting to push back on it or find it inappropriate or i don't know gauche um, well i wouldn't say they find it inappropriate there is definitely a, a pushback from the current generation uh, either gen z's or uh, sort of younger millennials just to sort of understand that you know this money can go towards so much better like buying a house for instance but i still think that the older generation prevails and they feel like this has been something that they've been dreaming about for their lives and they want to see their children married a certain way because you would have assumed that a pandemic of this proportion would curtail the wedding to a size which is you know manageable for most families but what has happened is that people have had their little ceremonies during the pandemic and when uh the restrictions open up they have their gala events too so it's not like the expense or the ticket size has gone down it's just that they found new ways to spend that money so let's spin this forward i want to talk about the future of the the big fat india wedding because we've talked a lot about where it's at now and what brought us to this place my first question is are we starting to see more international recognition and adoption of some of the aspects of indian weddings yes and and bollywood again is a huge influence on this international recognition because the music is just enduring it's something you want to dance to it's something that you want to look like a bollywood star while dancing to i see a lot of people using old hindi bollywood songs for uh their western or christian weddings and they're dressed in a tuxedo and a white dress but they're dancing to a shahrukh khan song i think i mean if that's not real international recognition then really what is i'm curious if you see anything problematic about that i mean i think i don't know that i would feel super psyched if i had a white friend who did a henna ceremony not necessarily understanding the roots of it what is the line between some of these aspects of indian weddings becoming exported and an appropriation i think definitely a uh, a lot of the ceremonies do get fetishized and there is some amount of appropriation especially with the henna ceremony because a lot of people don't understand the roots or the history of it which is why i think song and dance and bollywood ceremony is like the easiest thing to do because you're not going to offend anyone you're just honoring our great film industry but yes there is definitely that risk of cultural appropriation is there any part of the indian wedding that you 
think should be exported that you think would be cool if everyone embraced? I think everybody should dance to a choreographed routine. It's something I cannot recommend enough. It's it's so exhilarating to be able to perform a task and you know excel at it. It's like you learned a little hobby while also getting married. Why not? <laughs> You're also convincing. I think also like how many times in your life do you learn a dance routine with your like close friends and family? Not not that many. So it's unique, a unique bonding experience, I imagine. There was a year, I think 2016 or 17, where I attended seven such weddings. And I danced a different routine to the same song for all seven. When you're like out at the club and a song comes on, do like a bunch of people like break into a dance they learned for a wedding? I did that. Okay. I have done that. <laughs> I would be. I mean, you better believe if I'm going to learn a dance, I'm going to be doing it every chance I can. Absolutely. <laughs> One last question for you. Tell me about the best wedding you have personally attended. I don't know if you're going to offend someone by answering this question. Uh, and why it was so great. What was your favorite part of it? Oh, it was actually a very recent wedding of my very close friends. And given the pandemic, there were no restrictions. The wedding was trimmed down, uh, considering both sides of the families had like a large extended social circle. They did trim it down to about 100, 150. So it was mostly friends. So it was people our age. And there was alcohol flowing on all three days. I had the best food. I danced a lot and I failed at all the choreographed dances, but I still made it work. I mean, we all did like as a bunch of 20 people on one tiny stage. It was absolutely marvelous for the simple reason that the bride and groom also had fun. They weren't stressed. They weren't stuck on a stage. They weren't just doing, you know, all the rituals and ceremonies. They were actually actively involved in dancing and drinking with us. I love that. I love that as like the barometer of a great wedding, too, is for everybody. Are the bride and groom having fun? Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Manavi. I know I asked so many dumb questions uh, in this conversation, but it was really fascinating. And I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. That's our obsession for the week. This episode was produced by Katie Jean Fernelius. Our sound engineer is George Drake, and our executive producer is Alex Osala. The theme music is by Taka Yazuzawa and Alex Sukira. Special thanks to Manavi Kapoor in New Delhi. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us, all 500 of them. Then head to qz.com obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email and browse hundreds of interesting backstories. Thank you.